Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, can airlines deliver summer highs? Why background noise at European airports has moved centre stage? And which leaders will recognise this year's Airline Strategy Awards? My name's Graham Dunn and joining me as ever is Airline Business Editor Lewis Harper. Hi Lewis. Hi Graham. how are you? Yeah, very good, very good. And it's been a super hectic period in the industry and for us uh, with with our, our Airline Strategy Awards, which we'll talk about after in the second half of the podcast and with the IATA and the Paris Air Show. So it's, it's been a little while since we've been on the pod, isn't it? It has, yes. And um, obviously, but in broad terms, we, we've since we last spoke, I think we're, we're starting to see the first um, obviously earnings from Q2, but also the first uh, commentary on how things are going in the Northern Hemisphere summer. And that's certainly an interesting time again, isn't it, after what we went through last year? Yeah, it, it, it's a sort of a slightly confused, well, not confused, but it, it's a slightly contradictory period. You know, the market is going very well for airlines on the one hand. They are they are still making money where there's lots of talk of, of increased competition and challenges ahead. And traffic is, you know, it's continuing that that rise up. And, you know, I think I asked figures had passenger traffic, I think, within maybe 3% of, of pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, that, that traffic return, that demand recovery, you know, is definitely strong. And, we, you know, and we are in the peak uh, summer period in the uh, northern hemisphere. And things are sort of holding up, but it's not without the occasional alarms and, you know, pressures on disruption. We've seen that both in in Europe and in North America, haven't we? We have, yeah. So there's people are talking quite a lot about the industry normalisation. I think one thing to say, of course, is um, after three very unusual years, it's um, there is a degree of normality to to some of the things that are happening. It's not. It was it was never unusual that the summer peak, particularly, was a was a challenging time operationally for airlines and as you say um the overall picture is on the financial side and of the performance um spectrum is is pretty strong but yeah the the there have been a, a few developments over the past few weeks that kind of um perhaps put pay to the notion that you know this summer was going to be a a smooth one and everything um you know last summer was um was uh, you know lessons were learned and um, everyone was prepared etc etc you know some of the things that are happening are out of airlines direct control so um, as ever there are plenty of stakeholders in this industry and um, everything can't be put at the airline's door and I think you know what we saw sort of early on in the summer season I was going guess in the US with um, ATC challenges weather challenges that kind of thing kind of fall into that bracket don't they? Yeah, very much so. In the US, in particular, had a, a you know a very tricky holiday uh, weekend. You know that was a it's a major crunch period, and it's it is interesting. You, talk, you know, we talk about this normalisation of the industry, and and to some extent, the industry was it, it is back to normal, and it was far from perfect before <laughs> the uh, before COVID happened. All the you know the prep. It's not new that Ryanair and others in Europe and, and even in the US, the airlines would be complaining about, you know, the air traffic control and disruption caused from that. It's certainly not new that the weather would cause major issues. Of course, we've seen some particularly acute problems over this summer and, and clearly against the backdrop of climate change. That That is something that feels like it's going to be an even 
more significant factor going forward. And even things like airport capacity, you know, it, <laughs> airports, airports in Europe in particular, for example, you know, they were constrained, they were congested before. So, you know, those kind of operational pressures that you had were, were, were high beforehand. And so it's definitely true that as an industry, the airlines having a much better run at the summer this time around because they are best prepared. They are in terms of staff levels at airports, at airlines, the staffing levels are much, much better. But, you know, you still do have a kind of newly trained up industry. We have lost, you know, quite a lot of experience from that. And the same pressures that were there before are largely there again. And, you know, some of those other factors that have, are creating a problem around that and, with, you know, within Europe in particular, when it comes to airspace, you know, the extra pressure and there are far bigger issues around what's happening in uh, Ukraine. But the fact that the, the dispute in the Ukraine is still continuing, you know, that has an added pressure in terms of Europe's ability to deliver the services it can as traffic comes back. It does, yeah. So so we know, you know, to, on, on, on that topic, we, we know one of the, the challenges with ATC in Europe this year is airspace is much more constrained because of the loss of, you know, Russia and Ukrainian and uh, Belarusian airspace. Um, you know, a lot more aircraft going through a smaller area. Add on top of that, of course, again, something that's not new, but strike action and ATC providers, on top of the fact that staffing shortages among ATC providers, you, you add those three things together and it's uh, creating some challenges, shall we say, um, always with the caveat that um, overall, I think, um, yeah, most airlines would would take where they are today versus where they have been in in recent years. So, so yeah, that, they they are significant challenges, you know. And, and there's kind of a mixture really going on of these shorter term issues and longer term in in terms of capacity constraints. So, in Europe in particular, on top of those ATC challenges, we're also seeing moves to kind of more structurally uh, restrict capacity. And I think that appears to be a growing theme for the industry as you were saying with this wasn't an industry that was awash with capacity going into covid so as it reaches and exceeds particularly in obviously the, the biggest market so as it reaches and exceeds 2019 levels fundamental changes as we might be seeing in Schiphol in Amsterdam and um, you know under proposals for Brussels for example may mean that you know capacity constraints are a structural part of the industry um, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and I think what we're seeing at uh, at Amsterdam in particular, it, you know, that's really interesting development. I think a highly worrying one in in many aspects for airline growth, I guess, but also one which you know it's 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 almost a year I think since the Dutch government first floated the idea of casting capacity back at uh, Schiphol Airport, and a year on. We, we, you know, we're still not really clear where that's going. There's still plenty of uncertainties around that. Uh, we see that there have been various legal challenges. Airlines and Fed airports themselves, both working on on concepts where they can operate more efficiently. But of course, those are sort of long-standing ambitions, and they aren't easy to do. And then even, you know, in that particular instance in the Netherlands, you have a situation where the Dutch government proposing it, now they they've actually collapsed since then. So you end up in a situation where, you know, there is no certainty as to how things go. And, you know, and it's quite a, you know, the economic impact and 
on cutting capacity at uh, in Amsterdam, for example, would be on KLM would be highly significant. It would have a major, major impact. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops or whether that's more of a, a transition of flights. But what's absolutely clear is that capacity at airports and capacity within within Europe in particular is going to be under scrutiny going forward. And you know, to some extent, the the easy part of the task, and it wouldn't have felt easy for any airline, any airline leader involved in doing this. The easy part of, of it was getting back to pre-pandemic levels of traffic. Actually, managing to grow in that environment is altogether much harder. It is, particularly as you say, when you're concentrating on the, the big hubs, there are clearly more underserved markets than maybe some of the lower cost carriers are are able to tap in this this you know, continue. A relatively aggressive growth but when you're looking at the most attractive and busiest hubs um, the room for growth is less obvious and it always has been but perhaps even more so and and of course for you know for an industry that knows there's going to be a lot of investment ahead to to reach net zero the idea that you know certain carriers could be facing reductions in the amount of flying they can do from their, their key airports is, is very significant and doesn't exactly create an environment where you're motivated to stick to some so to investment plans. It's kind of puts you in a quite a defensive position, I guess, as a as a business. If you feel that governments are either proactively or even discussing, as in the case of Brussels, where you know uh, the transport ministers floated the idea of of again a light ship or a noise related cap on um, on flights. In both cases, it, it does create um, a lot of uncertainty for the industry. Um, you know. It's fundamentally, I guess, diff- different issues to the shorter term operational disruptions. But all of this kind of comes under this heading of constrained capacity. And um, it's it's uh, an interesting, interesting time at the moment. I think um, North America, as we talked about, has had uh, ATC has been a, a challenge there with um, uh, staffing shortages uh, again. And it was notable that um, United Airlines was uh, one of the, the airlines that struggled the most at points with maintaining its, its schedules when there was weather disruption. They're particularly noteworthy because um, Scott Kirby had talked about foreseeing that the industry was would have these capacity constraints going forward and that it meant it needed to be better prepared for what was to come um, in terms of making sure it had spare capacity, spare staffing levels so that it, it could cope with trouble when it came along. But of course, even in that case, when you felt that you know someone who had you know, made quite a big play of noticing this this situation, you know his airline had quite significant struggles over a few days relating to disruption. It, it just goes to show that maybe there's only so far you can prepare for these things, and also it does reflect to an extent, I think, some of the the outdated IT and and software that that underpins some you know, both airline operations and. ATC operations that um, things t- tend to fall over a bit too easily, um, particularly when when things go wrong. And as you say, um, we are living in a world where you know you only have to look in Europe at the moment with um, the wildfires in in roads, for example, which is generating a lot of headlines with airline cancellations and rescue flights. To see that maybe we're we're heading towards a future where these things are going to be more commonplace until um, the global economies get a grip on climate change. So. And going back to the point, you know, this is a, just looking at financials, it's looking pretty good this summer. But yeah, as I said earlier, anyone that thought this was uh, going to be plain sailing has been proven proven wrong in, in many cases, I think. 
and because there is continuing and it's another contradiction of course you know an industry which is ordering uh, you know a string of air, new aircraft which sees if you talk to any any airline ceo you know one of the first things they'll talk about about sustainability probably because it's the most what they would imagine is the most controllable thing for them which is to bring in new aircraft update the current fleet which you know certainly in, as a near-term measure is probably the the biggest step change an airline can make in terms of addressing its environmental impact. Uh, that's, of course, is, is not as easy to make happen as they would because of the, the entire supply chain issues, uh, which have caused engine maintenance, not just engine maintenance, but general maintenance problems around, around the current fleet, uh, uh, supply uh, shortage and delivery delays. It means actually you're seeing, you know, airlines are having to returning aircraft which which we you know we hadn't expected to see back again or, or operating older aircraft so you know Lufthansa had already brought back their A380s earlier uh, you know in the past few days Etihad had just returned its uh, A380s onto the London Abu Dhabi route and that the, the primary benefit of that is that, that they have a route between London and Abu Dhabi which they think can support that larger aircraft but it's probably it's you know it's as much about releasing capacity onto other destinations so that, that they can grow using the fleet fleet they have uh, while waiting for new aircraft to come in. This is it. There are plenty of airlines out there who I think he will openly say they wish they were able to fly more in the um, current environment, which obviously for some when we're talking about these uh, operational challenges um, is perhaps not as straightforward as, uh, as, as it may have been because clearly the um, system in some cases is struggling to cope with the capacity as it as it stands but yeah as you say it's um these aircraft that are being brought back into service does reflect a, a market for aircraft whether they're new or secondhand leased or purchased new uh, is is incredibly tight you talk to some t- chief executives and they'll tell you that they've effectively been gazumped when trying to um, secure leased aircraft, for example, thinking the deal was done and then the, the current operator, for example, will suddenly decide they want to keep it and will pay a lot more than they were or, you know, essentially, yeah, the, the, the better offer will come along and and they lose out. So it's a weird dynamic, really, where airlines probably would like to operate more, but there's also an extent to which you think, well, it's probably lucky they're not in some cases because clearly there are capacity constraints in, in, in several areas. You know, I think one of the challenges for this industry in, in multiple forms is, you know, a lot of the solutions are, you know, are really difficult to make happen. So, you know, no one disputes the, the potential for um, air traffic control through the implementation of single European sky, which would be, you know, fantastic operationally and also from an environment, environmental perspective. But, you know, no one would also doubt that there's been you know, very limited success in implementing implementing that over the past two decades or so. Circumstances could provide the the catalyst, perhaps. You know, maybe things have to have to re- have to really get stretched for uh, politicians will make the decisions necessary to kickstart it. But in many cases, the solutions to some of those crises, you know, similarly new airport capacity or new uh, sustainable types of aircraft, they are they're all a few years away. So it does feel as though, on the one hand, I, yeah, I think Willie Walsh and IART will be absolutely delighted that you know one of their biggest plaints this summer is about an old school issue in terms of air traffic control and disruption. That, you know, after, given what they've had to complain about, you know, that's a great position to be in. But um, it does feel as, as though 
we've had these few years of dealing with COVID and now it's back to, uh, well, we do, we, <laughs> this industry still has many fundamental issues to tackle if it's going to become operationally, if it's going to be able to thrive operationally and to grow, I guess. Yeah, and I think a lot of this, um, obviously, one, you talk about coming out of the last three years and clearly one thing that most people acknowledge coming out of the, the COVID crisis is that sustainability is now kind of the first item on the agenda of any industry conference you go to. And I do think um, one, when we're talking about operational challenges and expansion of airport capacity um, and solutions involving, you know, investment in ATC, whatever, does need to be placed in the context of this being an industry where scrutiny of its growth is itself growing all the time. And it all feeds into the same narrative, really, where, you know, unless the airline industry can prove it's on a path to, to, to generally on the path to net zero, these challenges are going to be harder to fix because the the um, the political optics of in, investing in lots of expanded airport capacity, etc., are going to be harder for political parties to pull off, particularly in talking from Europe, where I think this issue is most um, pertinent. But you know, certainly that type of um, concern could is likely to only grow in other regions as well. So. Um, has always been challenging. There is an argument where, where getting the investment needed might might get harder in some cases because of that that idea that um, it is not a good look to be seen to be encouraging the growth of of aviation. But um, you know that's not to say there aren't there are plenty of politicians who also can balance that against the um, the clear benefits that the industry brings. But I think it is a reality that. The industry has to face alongside the reality that operational challenges are probably going to get more frequent and sometimes probably harder to deal with if, if climate change you know does um, continue to have an effect on, on weather and all the um, problems that can cause and also on as we mentioned earlier on on wildfires and things that um, mean that destinations be- suddenly become um, unservable or you need to get get your customers out and that and then you know Beyond the obvious devastation that can cause, it's the, from, from an airline point of view, there's costs and all sorts connected with that. So, yeah, it's um, an interesting time. No one's unaware of these challenges, but I think so much these days comes back to that sustainability um, argument one way or the other. So no shortage of challenges for airline CEOs at the moment. After the break, we're going to look at some of the standout achievers among airline leaders at our recent Airline Strategy Awards. Welcome back. Um, we have a regular awards event that uh, we run together with our partners, uh, Corn Ferry. Every year we held our most recent uh, Airline Strategy Awards event in London earlier this month. And um, Lewis, this this event kind of recognises leaders across uh, a variety of, uh, of regions and disciplines. Yeah, so we, we changed things a bit this year. I think previously we've kind of focused more on business models. But um, increasingly, obviously, we know in the industry that that those models are blurred, and 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 we were finding at times, you know, but too much of the debate was around, you know, who who fits into what category. So we we kind of shifted to a a regional focus for the for the um for the main leadership awards across the five kind of uh, big airline regions. So we combined Air Africa and Middle East into one. We've got North America, Latin America, Europe, um, and Asia Pacific, and have I missed one there? <laughs> I think that I think that was all of them: Europe, North America, yeah. Latin America, 
Asia Pacific and the uh, Middle East yeah. and Africa. And there were, you know, a number of standout performances there. Singapore Airlines, one in the Asia Pacific region, you know, and that really was recognition of, you know, incredibly impressive financial results, but also the speed and acceleration and their readiness with which their leader, Go Chun Fong, had had set the airline up for when they did reopen borders. We uh, recognised Ben Minakuchi, Alaska Airlines, and uh, and that's a you know a very strong holistic story. Uh, Alaska Airlines operated very impressively, I think, coming out of the pandemic, and it's accelerated its fleet the, uh, transition, uh, built on its alliance a membership of One World, and you know that's allied to like uh, you know a really impressive approach to. Uh, uh, ESG and uh, sustainability. And, and so they're very strong players in Latin America and the Caribbean. JetSmart, uh, which was the winner. Where. That's a very interesting airline. Yeah, we often find you with the smaller carriers, I guess you get often get a neat narrative. So, so yeah, in this case, yeah, JetSmart, not, nowhere near um, the size of some of the bigger players in that region. But I think the sense among the judges is that it really belied its size with its its impact and it, I think it's only around 20, 20 aircraft at the moment but it's really making a success of being a pan Latin American ultra low cost operator which is no easy task at the best of times we know from covering that that area of the world that being a, an airline in that region is challenging you know there are lots of uh, regulations between countries so while we're used to being in Europe for example which has a kind of single aviation market and where whereas i guess in north america you have you know the huge domestic markets in flying between countries in, in latin america is not easy um and you know the, the also carriers in that region face higher costs on fuel in some instances through taxation and things that makes it tough so on top of that JetSmart kind of started up in chile in 2017 but fairly quickly after that we obviously entered the the pandemic and so they kind of had a had to start again almost um, coming out of, of COVID and you know they've, they've got operations now in Argentina as I, as I mentioned Chile, Peru, I think they're opening up in Colombia. They're kind of making a, a success of the idea of serving markets where people previously would have spent 30 hours on a bus but they're, they're really making a, a success of that and that's no easy task. I think you we've seen even the last few months you know carriers struggling and ceasing operations in that region but it's you know backed by indigo partners so who we've um, heard from before at the awards not least i think bill frankie picked up an award just on, on just before the pandemic but yeah we it's a really good story under estuardo waters their, their leader there and they've making a success really of operating across multiple countries and small operation but so much potential i think and it's it's just a yeah really really nice story and a strong one from that region and you know, one of the things we tried to do with the, the slightly different structure of the awards was to maybe shine a light on some airlines and stories that don't necessarily get that, or might be a little bit under the radar. And another of those was uh, the winner in the Africa and Middle East uh, category, which uh, Roger Foster, uh, who leads um, Airlink, and, and Roger Foster's been running that airline and, um, for many years. But you know, that airline went through a, a sort of a major transition just ahead of the pandemic, and not even because of the pandemic I had a long-standing franchise agreement with South African Airways but when South African Airways came into uh, you know its financial problems Elling was faced with you know what what happens to those routes you know that would be given up and it had an, an opportunity to branch out and its own start operating on their own 
and in its own right under its own AOC with its own brand. And it has acted really swiftly in doing so um, and in quite sort of difficult difficult circumstances trying to do that during the pandemic got that up and running by um the october of 2020 i think its positioning has been very clever i think it's it's a subtle change from being sa airlink to airlink um but sufficient that it controls its own destiny and operating was you know a really difficult market the south african market had you know a huge amount of overcapacity which is one of the reasons domestic players there struggled so much and of course uh you know another long-standing player Comair ceased operations as well SAA's locust unit Mango has um grounded as we speak still um so it's a really difficult market but uh Elink has, has grown really really cleverly operating within within South Africa itself but actually predominantly in regional routes around the around the market uh, using a fleet of Embraer uh, regional jets, operates I think more than 60 of those now. Um, in Europe, we had uh, a, an interesting air, uh, interesting winner there as well, I think, Lewis. Yeah, so um, Europe, it was um, Pegasus CEO uh, Gulas Ozturk who who picked up the uh, executive leadership award there. Um, you know, Pegasus, um, interesting carrier. I think they're around uh, 100 aircraft now based out of um, Istanbul's um, second airport, but with um, obviously smaller bases elsewhere. Not quite the same story, I guess, market-wise. I think obviously Turkey as a whole going into COVID was, has had some challenging times. So, but coming out of COVID, I think, um, and during COVID, obviously a large domestic market was was fairly helpful for its for its airlines, but also um, I think um, the, the weakness of the lira has made it quite an attractive uh, leisure destination, um, on top of the fact it's obviously an attractive leisure destination anyway, because of its um, you know large resorts and um, uh, particularly for European travellers. So Pegasus, um, often in maybe in the shadow of, of Turkish Airlines, but it's certainly um, come out of um, the, the COVID crisis strongly. The, it was great to recognise Gula Turk. I think the um, Pegasus talk about her being a pioneer among female leaders in the um in the Turkish aviation sector. But um yeah, it's not just her appointment that's significant in that regard. She is very much an advocate for um for diversity in the business and in her previous role as commercial chief at Pegasus, she she'd been heavily involved in trying to for mentoring schemes for, for women in the business and and making sure that, that the terms and conditions for female employees were were right for for ensuring they can um you know work to their full potential in the business so she's and she's off she was recognized by art iata this year i think in in that regard in the awards around diversity so she's a really interesting leader in that regard i mean she's she's been leading pegasus since may last year and i think in that time they've had some really impressive financial results the strongest a bit margins in the whole industry i think last year i mean granted there are reasons around i think currency why helps him to helps it towards that but but certainly there's there's a really strong underlying operational performance there a really good story around ancillary revenue which is clearly a, a really important thing for those those low-cost operators yeah and then obviously uh, after uh, Gula's Austin was chosen for the award they announced uh, an order for more aircraft so they're, they're really um ramping up their growth and so yeah they, they've got really interesting business there and and it felt like a really good opportunity to to celebrate what they've done there in terms of yeah as I say um, a relatively new leader but a really strong story in in recent months. 
And um, probably um, a slightly longer term story, as it often is, is the uh, around the Airline Business Award, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. We uh, every year we we recognise a leader for a kind of sustained effort, sustained contribution to this industry. And um, uh, and this year it was um, Doug Parker, up until very recently was um, chairman of, of American Airlines, but you know most famously, you know, spent tw- you know twenty odd years at the helm of what became American Airlines today, but through you know, two reverse takeovers, uh, starting at America West and then through to US Airways and then uh, to create American Airlines as it is today. And I think it's a, an incredible cheer. I think it, it's easy to, to get lost in, in the largely highly successful consolidated US airline industry, the, the giants of Delta and United and American Airlines. And in fact, even, uh, you know, Southwest has used uh, consolidation Alaska, we're seeing it with JetBlue, potentially with Spirit as well. Before that consolidation happened, US carriers, you know, it was a struggle to do that and, you know, to deliver the kind of profits that uh, that that this industry now and certainly the US market delivers a, a sort of a kind of level of profitability that probably wasn't ever anticipated <laughs> that airlines mm-hmm. could achieve. Doug Parker was really central to that mission i mean it's an extraordinary story of of taking that that leadership of um you know to carry out two reverse reverse takeovers as essentially the smaller guy bigger operator and to you know take over and lead that company and to carry out those you know those mergers and transitions remarkably well it's you know financially a very stable airline uh, i mean doug parker it, interestingly he uh you know a few years back he he was asked and in an interview, he said that he thought that American Airlines and Airlines, <laughs> the US carriers in, in general, wouldn't lose money again because of that consolidation that they had made. You know, I, I, I don't think anyone could have seen uh, COVID coming, but it's certainly if the never losing money again didn't uh, demonstrate itself. I think the speed with which the US carriers have, have recovered in America, among, uh, certainly among them, illustrates that the journey I think those consolidated players have, have been on. So um, great to have Doug, Doug Parker there in London to collect and receive that award. There were two or three other winners we have. Uh, Cargo, that award went to Atlas Air, didn't it, Lewis? Yeah, so Atlas Air, um, they recently had a leadership transition. So we had uh, Michael Steen in the room, which was great. And um, the, the award recognised John Dietrich as well as the previous CEO up until... Um, a couple of months ago, obviously, Dietrich has since been announced as CFO of FedEx. But but yeah, a really strong story with Atlas Air. They're you know, one of the largest cargo carriers in the world. They've really diversified the business, which I think seeing the, the massive volatility in air cargo just over COVID really is um, reflects why I think that's an important move by the business. So so, yeah, just a really, really strong leadership story there which has culminated this year and Atlas Air going private and um, the sense that the huge value created by that business is reflected in that that move to to going private so to a great story there yeah and we had um, on the ESG side we had Air New Zealand picking up the awards um, lots of I think fairly well known um, work there on the ESG side particularly sustainability um, around um, <clears throat> work on new aircraft programs for example and commitments to to targets on their net zero journey and Valaris on digital wasn't it yes and so Valaris are 
they're really a, a leader on, on digital. They have been right from the outset of kind of a central mantra of that business. And um, and once again, you know, when we when the judges the judges were you know very impressed with the way they had used digital through the since the 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 pandemic, in particular in terms of both growing revenues through its app uh, and you relaunched website which had a tremendous effect on that and also it's a digital resolution for passengers uh, you know when there are uh, challenges in their their flights and that disruption management is a really key play for, for airlines and I think you see you know Blarit is a really good example of where they've actually used it as a as a way of not just not just a cost saving because it's a cost saving if you can find a, a way of digitally and automating that process but also a way of actually improving customer service and I think you see that across the industry with different players who are you know I, th- I think anyone who's who's faced disruption on a, on a flight will mm-hmm. will recognize when they've had good and when they've had bad treatment and when things have worked and when things haven't and you know I don't think the industry is where it needs to be yet uh, across the board but you can see when it is resolved sort of painlessly and simply and in an automated fashion you really can see the value of digital uh, going ahead there and I think you know Valaris are a super strong player in that field so uh, all those stories you can read far more about at uh, flightglobal.com. But um, other than that, I think that's all we have time for this week, isn't it, Lewis? I think so. And I'm fairly sure next time we speak, we'll be looking at some of those disruption issues in <laughs> in some specific circumstances as we um, have a look at some of the earnings calls from uh, the second quarter period, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um so that's all we have time for. A reminder, you can um, read all our, the stories that we covered and talked about today at flightglobal.com. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter, which you can sign up for free again at uh, flightglobal.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like us, view us, tell your friends, subscribe, and we'll speak again soon.